Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for the legendary law and order stories of the Wild West. This podcast features a forensic psychologist that looks at the history of the most infamous and famous outlaws and cowboys of the Wild West. So sit back, partner, and take a listen. Welcome, everybody. While we go back to Tombstone, the movie, is we're going to look at another character. This character didn't receive as much attention as his older brother, Wyatt Earp, did, but Virgil Earp had his own stories to tell. And we're going to be looking at his stories today. Thank you for all those that are listening to this podcast. I appreciate it if you can share, subscribe, or hit that five star if you're on Apple. We truly would appreciate that. So let's look at Virgil Earp and see what happens. He was born on July 18, 1843, in Ohio County, Kentucky. He was the second child after James Cooksey, born on June 28, 1841, of Nicholas Earp and his second wife, Virginia Ann Cooksey Earp. The fourth child, Wyatt Earp, wasn't born until March 19, 1848, so almost five years, about four and a half years later. So that's the age difference between Virgil and Wyatt. Two other brothers followed, Morgan, you know that, was one of the youngest, about three years later, and then Warren Earp, another four years after that. So Morgan was about three years younger than Wyatt Earp, and about another ooh, eight years, almost a, yeah, almost a decade younger than Virgil Earp, so there's quite a bit of a distinction between the three. Nick Earp, uh, uh, Nick Earp, he was born, where was Nick Earp? I was the dad. Nick Earp and his family were living in Pella, Iowa, when 17-year-old Virgil met Ellen Rysdam. So this is about 1860 now. Think about that time frame, 1860. you got the Civil War coming up. And Virgil and Ellen ran off to Knoxville, Iowa, to get secretly hitched on September 21st, 1861. A child, Nellie Jane, was born in July of 1862. But who was this? Ellie or Ellen. Now we do know Virgil had his constant companion, but her name was Allie, Alvira. But we'll continue talking about Ellen a little bit later on. So a child they had an Ellie Jane in 1862. At this time, Virgil was just a little under 20 years of age. Just two weeks before Virgil enlisted in the Illinois Volunteer Infantry for three years, the next year Ellen was told that her husband had died. That's right. She married then John Van Rossum and went off to start a new life in Washington Territory with her daughter and second husband. By the time Virgil Earp was mustered out of the Army in 1865, the Earp family had moved to San Bernardino. Virgil joined them there one year later. He probably learned from friends where Ellen had gone, but he apparently did not go looking for her. Ellen continued to have bad luck, unfortunately, with her marriage. Her second husband soon died, and apparently John Van Rossum's death was a real one. Ellen ended up marrying Thomas Eaton in Walla Walla in 1867. Back to the father, 
Nicholas Earp, he took his family east again in 1868. Now Virgil's about 25, eventually setting in Lamar, Missouri, where Virgil helped him farm and operate a grocery store. When Virgil was about 27, he married again, this time to Rosilla Drago, who was about 10 years younger. Nick Earp was the justice of the peace, his father, who performed the marriage ceremony. Perhaps the brides objected again, or the parents, perhaps the bride's parents objected again because Rosilla Earp soon disappeared from the scene forever. Exactly what happened to her is uncertain. So we got to see here, um, Virgil was about 27. She was about 17. So I can see why the parents might have objected. But Virgil was 27. That means Wyatt Earp was about 23 and Morgan's about 20 years of age. Not long after that, Virgil Earp left Lamar and in Council Bluffs, Iowa in 1873, at 30 years of age, he met waitress Allie Sullivan. They hit it off so well that Earp must have forgotten all about wives Ellen and Rosilla, or maybe not entirely, if he never officially married Allie. In any case, Virgil and Allie would stick together come hell or high water for the next century. Or into the next century, not for the next century. The couple lived a nomadic existence for many years, exactly when and where Virgil first wore a badge is absolutely not sure. Don Chaput, C-H-A-P-U-T, the author of Virgil Earp, Western Peace Officer, raised the possibility that Virgil served briefly with Brother Wyatt Earp on the Wichita Police Force in the mid-1870s when Virgil was in his 30s and Wyatt probably in his late 20s. Wyatt Earp is known to have joined the Dodge City Police Force after that and to have been appointed Assistant Marshal in the Kansas town. Virgil Earp was also in Dodge City, but whether he ever served is debatable. From Dodge, Virgil and Allie moved to Prescott, the territorial capital of Arizona. There, in October 1877, Virgil Earp was quickly deputized by Yavapai County Sheriff Ed Bowers. Yavapai is Y-A-V-A-P-A-I. Hopefully I'm saying that right. He was deputized by him during a street fight and helped several lawmen shoot down two hard cases. In 1878, Virgil served in Prescott as a village night watchman for a couple of months and was elected a constable. On November 27, 1879, at the age of 36, he was appointed a U.S. Deputy Marshal in Arizona. The next month, he came to Tombstone. After the shooting death of the town's Marshal Fred White in October 1880 at age 37, Virgil Earp was appointed Acting Marshal. Remember that, folks? He only served until November 12th when he lost a special election to Ben Sippy. After Tombstone achieved the city status in January 1881, the incumbent Sippy defeated Virgil Earp in another election. But on June 6, 1881, Mayor John Clum appointed Earp city marshal after Sippy abandoned his badge. Marshal Earp, who doubled as a deputy marshal, was busy that summer arresting citizens for minor offenses. But when he arrested Frank Stilwell, if you remember that name from the movie, and Pete Spence for stage robbery, bitterness between the so-called cowboys and the Earps grew. Marshal Earp and his three deputies came out on top in the famous shootout that October. Billy Clanton and the McClary brothers were killed, but Virgil was suspended from his job. And then on December 28th, three concealed men shot him down. It was unclear whether Virgil would survive his wounds. I Clanton, who had survived the OK, Corral, the OK Corral shootout by running away, was a suspect, as were Stillwell, Spence, and the infamous Johnny Ringo. Virgil didn't die, but he did lose the use of his left arm, as the movie stayed pretty close to the truth. After Brother Morgan was gunned down on March 18, 1882, at this point, Virgil was about almost 40 years of age, so Morgan died around 32. 
Wyatt made sure that Virgil, Allie, and other family members accompany Morgan's coffin to Nicholas Earp's home in Colton, California. At the train station in Tucson, the Earp spotted Stillwell and killed him. Crippled Virgil could not help Wyatt seek further vengeance against the Cowboys, but in California, the former marshal did not stay out of action for long. In fact, when he was turned 40 in 1883, there was a railroad fight in the Colton area, some 60 miles east of L.A. The old Southern Pacific Railroad line was trying to hold back the upstarts, California Southern, Antenna connecting railroad star of San Diego with the main line of the Atchison, Topeka, and Santa Fe tracks. California Southern workers laid tracks north and east until they approached the Southern Pacific tracks in Colton. The older railroad company refused to allow the workers to cross their tracks. At the planned crossing site, the Southern Pacific parked a locomotive and tender, which was only moved to allow passage of the company's own trains. Southern Pacific officials kept an engineer in the cab along with a company hired gunslinger. And that gunslinger was Virgil Earp. Armed with guns and a tombstone reputation, Special Railroad Agent Earp did his job well. Even after the courts ruled the crossing should be allowed, Earp kept the California Southern work crew at bay. Colton citizens were loyal to the Southern Pacific, but over in San Bernardino, which had been bypassed earlier by the Southern Pacific Line, folks became increasingly upset. They expected the California Southern Line to put San, San Bernardino back on the map. Things reached ahead on September 13 with an incident that was quickly dubbed the Battle of the Crossing. That morning, citizens on both sides began to gather, the ones from San Bernardino on the north and the ones from Colton on the south, with the Southern Pacific locomotive square in the middle. On both sides of the track, men carried picks, shovels, shotguns, and revolvers. Virgil Earp paced the gangway between cab and tender with his face toward the San Bernardino mob and his six-shooter in hand. Meanwhile, in San Bernardino, Governor Waterman made it clear to San Bernardino Sheriff that there could be no more delay. The court must order the court order must be enforced. The sheriff promptly deputized ten dependable men and escorted the governor to the crossing site. The governor made his way to the front of the San Bernardino mob and read the court order. The locomotive must be cleared away at once. And if guard Virgil Earp made any move with his six shooter, Burkhardt and his deputies would open fire. The highly charged atmosphere made the possibility of an inter-community bloodbath very likely. Something even bloodier than the tombstone shootout. Virgil could also see that further resistance was hopeless. He holstered his six-shooter, ordered the engineer to move the locomotive. Whether or not Earp was following instructions is not known. But by not resisting the governor, sheriff, and deputies, he made sure that the bloodless battle of the crossing did not turn into the gunfight. Colton did become something of a railroad center, and Virgil and Allity settled down to urban living there. But Virgil was not just any old resident. People knew his name. Earp was virtually synonymous with frontier justice and his reputation. Virgil's father, Nick, a saloon owner, was elected justice of the peace for Colton in 1884, and Virgil began to take an interest in local politics. Virgil Earp gambled a lot during these years, opened up a detective agency briefly when he was 43 and then was elected village constable. Boy, I'm having a hard time, folks. My apologies. One year later, Colton was incorporated as a city on July 11th, 1887, according to the minutes of board supervisors. And Earp's term of office was one year at a salary of $70 per month. On April 8th, 1888, Earp was reelected city marshal for another one year term. Marshal Earp spent time collaring tramps, petting thieves, and drunks. Records from various board of trustee meetings suggest that Virgil had many mundane duties and no staff to help him do them. When the lock on the jail needed replacing, he bought and installed a new one himself. When the sewer backed up, he did the digging to clear it. 
In March 1889, Virgil Herb resigned as city marshal and became a boxing matchmaker and a gambling hall operator in the larger city of San Bernardino. He was about 46 at this point. In the spring of 1893, now at 50 years of age, he ventured off to Vanderbilt, a gold mining camp in northeast San Bernardino. There, Virgil Earp opened Earp's Hall, a two-story saloon that had a public hall upstairs for dances, prize fights, and church services on Sunday. You can see he's following his dad's pattern as well as wider, which is interesting. They didn't mention this in Tombstone, the movie, but you can see the family had a very entrepreneurial spirit. Well, most people did in those days, but this family in particular. Virgil was later described by Vanderbilt acquaintance as a cheerful and agreeable man. In appearance, he even looked kind of studious, but he always took part in the dances and get-togethers. The acquaintance, Fisk, also described Virgil as a quiet man who wouldn't talk much about himself. Despite his injured left arm, could handle cards, drinks, and hard cases. Even though Virgil was well-liked, he lost the election for constable in 1894. Virgil and Allie were back in Colton by early 1895, but they did not stay long. Virgil had heard from Brother Wyatt and was off to the mining town of Cripple Creek, Colorado. Apparently, there was not much profit to be found, and in October, Virgil and Allie went back to Prescott, where they had lived in the late 1870s. Mining in the area seemed to be Virgil's chief interest, but he was injured in a mining accident in the fall of 1896, now at 53. He recovered and took up ranching in the Kirkland Valley. In the fall of 1898, Virgil Earp received a letter at his ranch from a 36-year-old Portland woman, Mrs. Levi Law. She had recently read an account of the 1881 street fight in Tombstone, this is 17 years before, and the newspaper article had also told of Virgil's whereabouts. In the letter, Mrs. Law asked if he was the same Virgil Earp who had married Ellen Rysdam in Pella, Iowa. If so, she informed him that she was his daughter, Nellie Jane. The news greatly excited Virgil Earp and Allie, too. Virgil corresponded with his long-lost daughter, and she intended to visit him in, in Arizona Territory before a sudden attack of pneumonia laid her low. Instead, Virgil went with Allie to meet her in, or in Portland, Oregon. In, 1889, in 1899, Ellen, Virgil's first wife, was also at the Portland station to greet them. He is now enjoying a very pleasant visit with her and his two grandchildren at his home, at her home, which is that of Mrs. Eaton in North Portland, said the Oregonian. He will remain for several days more before he starts on his journey home. Years have taken away the pain the meeting between the former husband and wife would once have caused, and the little visit has been the most happy one for all. The following winter, Nellie Jane visited Virgil and Allie in the Kirkland Valley. In 1900, Johnny Boyette killed Warren Earp in a saloon in Wild Wilcox, Arizona, and at least one paper reported that Wyatt Earp was the last of the Earp brothers. Nellie Jane told the Oregonian of the mistake. There are three brothers and a sister living. The newspaper quoted Nellie Jane July 21, 1900. Wyatt Earp is in Nome City, Jim Earp is in San Francisco, and Virgil Earp is living in Kirkland, Arizona. Now, Virgil Earp was nominated as the Republican candidate for sheriff of Yavapai County again in 1900, but he soon withdrew. It is uncertain why. Earp spent time both in Arizona and California during the next few years. Virgil might have spent his remaining days in Colton, if not for the anti-saloon sentiment in little California city. On June 29, 1904, he was one of four men to petition the city trustees to repeal the liquor ordinance that limited the number of saloons to one. 
According to L.A. Daily Times, Virgil Earp of the notorious Earp Boys, William Smith, a man named Tushman, and John Button, the church workers are protest out against any changes in the ordinance which will either lower the license or make it more make it possible for more saloons. The trustees voted on July 6 to repeal the ordinance and to grant one more high-priced liquor license, but they granted the license to barkeeper Tushman. Left out in the cold, Virgil and Allie struck out for Goldfield, Nevada, a new gold mining camp not far from Tonopah, where Brother Wyatt had run a saloon called the Northern and had served briefly as U.S. Deputy Marshal. Virgil found no new riches in Goldfield, but he did give in to the old law enforcement urge. In 1905, now at the age of 62, he became a deputy sheriff in Esmeralda. Mining towns went... This one wasn't too wild, and Virgil was soon slowed down by pneumonia, unfortunately. It was hard to enforce the law from bed. Nine months later, on October 19, 1905, at the age of 62, Virgil died. His remains were brought to Portland at the request of Nellie Jane. Now she was called Nellie Bond. Funeral services over the remains of Virgil Herp were held yesterday. Were held at Finley's undertaking rooms, and many of his friends paid their respects to the remains of the pioneer. The Oregonian reported on October 30th, the funeral. Virgil Earp was known as one of the most daring and adventurous of Western pioneers, and he was known from north to south on the Pacific coast as one of the great-hearted men who helped to build the West. Again, Virgil was buried at Portland's Riverview Cemetery. Ellen Rysdam Earp died in 1910. Nellie Earp died in 1930. That was the daughter. And Allie Earp, get this, died in 1947. She lived 40 more years without Virgil. Maud Law Bertrand, the daughter of Nellie and granddaughter of Virgil, died in 1902 and is interred beside Virgil. So you can see the amazing story of Virgil Earp. He never gave up and he was always busy doing something. You can see also the immense connection they had with his family. Thankfully, he found somebody he truly did love. And Allie stayed with her for many, many, many years, decades. And she ended up living for quite a while, too. Another 40 years. So that's the story of Virgil Earp. But I thought it'd be important to know, especially... Since we know about Wyatt Earp, and maybe we'll look at Morgan Earp. We'll continue looking at some of those characters in Tombstone as well, as well as other characters of the Wild West. Thanks for listening. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.